0: Good evening. We're continuing the Talmud series. And last week, we ended up uh, with a description of the last prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And after they passed away, the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of the holiness of Hashem, that used to be on people, is no longer on people as it used to be. But we have some bad call an announcement that people can hear. And uh, thank you. And also, the last thing that we actually ended the shiur with is that as a mitzvah. One of the 613 commandments that Hashem gave in the Torah is that even if a person already owned a Sefer Torah that his father left him before he passed away, it's still a mitzvah for every person to write himself a Sefer Torah. It's not a common mitzvah today because it's an expensive thing. Most people cannot afford to pay 30 or $40,000 for a nice Sefer Torah. And also it's uh, problematic because some, some people they have no place to store it in a house. They live in apartments, there's one or two rooms. And once you store it in a room, it becomes like a synagogue. You have all the laws applied to it. So it's a problem. That's why even people who did it, they donated to shuls. Uh, in our generation, it's enough that a person will give some few dollars to participate in a letter or a word in a Sefer Torah once in his life, and it's fine. Uh, there are much more emergency mitzvot that a person should do. Like I always say, you save other people, save souls with the money that you can write a Sefer Torah. Uh, Baruch Hashem, does enough Sefer Torah in the world. Almost every place has way more Sefer Torah than what they really need. You understand? So, sometimes they open a new minyan, so they don't need, but they borrow, they borrow from the synagogues that have plenty, and it's no problem. Okay, so now we continue. Uh, We we now actually already went into Masechet Sanhedrin, right? So, I probably did not mention it last week. We already finished Baba Batra, and... uh, the prophecy and the Sefer Torah, it's already in Masechet Sanhedrin. Also, this, Begmara says, one time the kingdom of the Romans made a decree that everyone who will be Somech, I'll explain soon what does it mean to be Somech, will be killed and everyone who will be Nismach will be king. Today, when a person wants to become a rabbi, officially, officially, to get a title, like some kind of a certificate. So there are big rabbis in the world that you can go there to some places, you pass the test, and officially you get a certificate, and some shuls requires that, if you want to be a rabbi of a shul. So you go, you go and become, but you should know that most of the big rabbis in the world never bothered with this because they know way more than this test or to get a certificate. They were never interested officially to become a rabbi. The people made them rabbis because they saw their brilliance and their knowledge in the Torah. So officially they saw this person is, a very, is very big. Nobody bothers him to ask him, you have a degree, not degree. It's not like here, college degree. You have to show if you want to get a job. You know, in, in the Torah, you don't have this nonsense. Why? Because with college degree, you can fool people or not. You can pretend you're a doctor or not. But when it comes to Torah, you can not pretend you're a rabbi, because it's a matter of a week or two that people would know, you don't know anything. How many times you will embarrass yourself until everyone would know that you're not in the minimum level required. But in the old days, it used to be even more sufficient. Why? Since the level of the holiness was so high That we see inside the Torah that Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu to put his hand on Yoshua Benun, on Joshua, and to pass from his holiness to his student to make him the leader instead of him. And all the time, when Rabbi wanted to make one of his students officially a rabbi, that he's going to be a teacher in his city or whatever, they used to do something that's called smicha. That's why, until this day, they use this expression, do you have a smicha or you don't have a smicha? So mech means you put your hands and you send away from your good energy, your good holiness, into the person who would continue to teach the Torah he learned from you. So the Romans, one of the decrees, their mind was to destroy Judaism, obviously. No circumcision, no Shabbos, no tefillin, no Rosh Chodesh, they try to destroy the foundation of Judaism in a generation or two hoping it uh, will make everyone go in. One of the things they did, that rabbis are enough to make the ceremony of making their students rabbis, which call Somech. Somech is the one who passed his holiness and blessing to his student, and Nismach is the one who received it. And they made a decree. If someone will be found doing it, Either your rabbi put his hand on you, or, or you doing it to one of your students, you and him will get killed. Automatically, no trial by them, there's no trial. You get killed. So the Gemara brings a story now. Uh, now, oh, one more thing. Not only did the person who did it, both of them will get killed, the entire city will be destroyed. They make such a threat that people will be very afraid. So now how do you make your student Officially a rabbi, you have to run to the mountains or to the desert where no one is there to hide Make sure you check a thousand times and you do it and even if they followed you and they see at least you're not in a city So they kill you and him, but they don't kill the entire city That's how it used to be So the Gemara said, Rabbi Yehuda Ben Bava Went and sat between two big mountains that nobody can see him. He's hiding in between two huge mountains in a valley And uh, between two big cities, not in this city and not in this city, there's a certain area that it's really not a city. It's in between, like a large border. To make sure that nobody will get hurt because of him. And the places used to call Usha and Shfaram, two city, Uh, and he took five rabbis or five students and made them officially rabbis. Who are they? Rabbi Meir, the famous Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Uda, Rabbi Shim'on, Rabbi Yossi, and Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua. Five very big names in the Talmud. Rav Avya says, there was another one. His name was Rabbi Nechemia. Five, there is no question that they were there. One of them, there's an opinion that he was there, the Gemara didn't bring it to Then the enemies, recognized them the Romans either they followed them or they were waiting there or whatever the case was and Rabbi Udab ben Vava was an very old man he couldn't run they were young so he told them run run they're coming I said what's with you Rabbi he said leave me alone he says I'm a, I'm a dead man I'm a lost case there's nothing I can do at least you save yourself so Legmaran like say they stuck 300 swords metal swords into his body and made his body with the holes look like a net you know how net have holes in it that's how they made him they were so cruel these romans these descendants of Esav so they take an old rabbi and stuck their swords 300 times in his body that was his end Amar Rabbi Shimon Hasidah, from one topic to another, still in Sanedrin, Sanhedrin, there was a violin that King David had. And he used to hang it above his bed. In exactly midnight, wind from the north started to come. And when the wind would come, it would make noise, the violin, because he put the, the stick on it and it moves and it makes that's a primitive alarm clock. Right, we have an alarm clock, do you have an alarm clock. How are you going to? David Amelech was sleeping very, very short, sleeping never more than half an hour. It's called a sleep of a horse, snatch Horse, he wants to sleep, he stands, he closes his eyes half an hour, finished. He open up his mouth, then he wants a few hours later to rest, he closes his eyes, and why is it? Because Hashem knew that the horse is like a car. Car has to be available all the time. Imagine your car wants to sleep now 12 hours. I gotta go to work. No, no, I'm tired. Let me rest. So it has to be available to you. So the horse finds the time in between to close his eyes and sleep quickly. If you need him two things, you patch him once, He wake up and begin to run. I know, I know a person that sleeps while he's standing hard to believe that he can stand like holding his Sidur, and in the middle of standing he falls asleep and begins to snore. And he doesn't fall. Very interesting. But the horse, for the horse, is natural. So once David Amelech hears, King David hears the noise of the violin, right away he gets up, sits with his book and learns Torah all the way to the sunrise, when he he allowed to pray, the Shachrit, the prayer of the morning. Why is it that Hashem did not write all the secrets of the commandments inside the Torah, all the reasons why there is commandments, all the secrets of the, of the mitzvot, why it's not integrated into the Torah? It's a big thing. Imagine if every one of the mitzvot You would know the reason. What's more important than the other? Why Hashem made this mitzvah? Why he wanted Phelan to be square and not round? Why he wanted it to be black? Why he wanted to write this and this and that and the way you do it and not like this? So many questions. You can ask billions of questions about every mitzvah. Why it's like this. Like Sometimes people ask, why the sky is blue? If it would be green, they'll ask why it's green. It's not because they have a problem that it's blue. They're just curious why Hashem made it blue. It's really not blue, it's black. But with the sun, it looks blue. But when you fly high, very high, you see it becomes black. But space is black, because there's no light. There's certain areas, that the light light of the sun doesn't get there. It's all black. Darkness is a creation, which means you have two kinds of ways that the Torah describes what Hashem made. One, bara, one yatzar. Bereshit bara elokim. And et Adam, Yitzira. And I once explained what's the difference. Baray means "from nothing. There was nothing, and now there is a raw material. There was nothing before. Yatzar means you take something existing already, like sand, wood, whatever, metal, and you create something with it. You, you form a shape that's called Yatzar. but you had the existing material. You just design it. that's called Yatzar. When it comes to the creation of the light and the creation of the darkness, there's a difference. Creation of the darkness is yesh me'ayin. There was nothing. We say in a prayer every day, yotzer or Uvore Yotzer or. Boreh choshech. Why not yotzer choshech? Because he created the darkness from nothing. He decided there would be something like this, black, no, nothing. There's nothing you can see was nothing, and now Hashem made it. Space, black, okay. Light, light, already once the sun was created in the creation of the world, now to, to, to send lights in different forms of lights, that's already a tzira. You have already the existing material, and you shape the light the way you want. You want it strong, weak, this, this color, that color, all kinds of ways of light. So we say on the light, we say Yotzer. But on the dark near, we say Bore. So over here, the Gemara the asks, why Hashem didn't tell us his reasons? Why? It's like a judge in court. The judge decides that this person will get this kind of punishment. Not always he explain why. Sometimes they explain, they write all the explanation. But sometimes he says, this is the way I decided and finished. So why is it? Because the Torah say, look at what happened. Two places, we know the reason, and the world made a very big sin, very big mistake. Twice the Torah did explain why Hashem doesn't want us to do it. Twice, where well, king, the king, the Torah said a person should not have too many women. Cannot have too many women. And the Torah also said that the king cannot have too many horses. Don't have too many horses. What's the problem? If I have 20 horses or 200 horses, what's the difference? So the Torah say, when it comes to women, you know, uh, Hashem said to a person that it's not good for him to have too many women. And King Solomon say, I'm going to have a lot of women. And I'm not going to turn away from Hashem. Because Hashem said that if a person will be busy too much with these females, he won't have time for Hashem and for their religion. He'll be busy with his desires from one woman to another. So, you know, it's not good to have too many women. Or what happened in the end? King Solomon said, ah, it doesn't apply to someone in my level. I have a plan. What's my plan? I will marry, uh, first I will convert to Judaism, every princess of the Gentiles in the world. I, he was the number one person in the whole world. Everyone knew him, admired him, was the legendary figure. So all the in they used to come, they used to send him gifts, they used to come just begging to meet him. Kings used to beg him to come to have a meeting with him. He was an incredible uh, uh, person. <laughs> He has divine knowledge more than anybody else in history. Smartest person ever lived. He was the king of the world when he was 12 years old, before his Bar Mitzvah. Imagine who we're talking here about. So what happened? He said, I'm going to make the whole world Jewish. One, two, three, in five years, how? Every one of the kings wants his daughter to marry me. I don't have to beg them, they have to beg me, right? So I'm going to make it very easy. I'm going to send letters to all of them, and I'll tell them I'm willing to marry your daughter if she agreed to convert to our religion. Since the Gentiles admired the Torah, it was 3,000 years ago, it was very fresh. It was only 300 years after Hashem spoke in Mount Sinai. The whole world was still shaking from it. Today, 3,300 years, many people forgot about it already. But in that time, it was, it was a, a fresh event. So people were very, oh, of course, my daughter, go, become Jewish, no problem. You marry King Solomon. He converted them. He taught them the principle of Judaism and then sent them back to their country. That's how it was. And when they went back to their country, each one of them became like a Chabad, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, messenger, shaliach. He sent them to all over, to their country. All of a sudden, they used to preach, hey, why are you worshipping this nonsense, these idols? It's not the right way. And she's speaking the name of her husband, King Solomon. So he married a thousand women. I always tell people, some people in Israel, there's a lot of, unfortunately, very foolish people when it comes to the Torah. They're very good in business and in sport and all kinds of fashion things. When it comes to the Torah, they never learn really some of them. So the nonsense that they talk, sometimes you have to be very patient to hear this. You think, Mamash makes the ears hurt when you hear it. One of the things they say, ah, what kind of righteous king is King Solomon? Married a thousand women. Give me a thousand women, i also be righteous. All kinds of stupid things like this. So I always tell them, let me ask you a question. Take. The worst person in a whole, in a whole world, today, in our generation, not three thousand years ago when people were in a much higher level. Today, the most despicable sick with desires for women, complete addicted person, can he handle a thousand women? He has a thousand wives. Does he need a thousand wives? He has one wife, another wife, another wife. After 10, 20, 30, you say, oh, too many wives. What's going on here? I can't, uh, I, can't I don't have enough time to see them. What? I, a thousand wives, that means you got to see her once every three, four years. So it doesn't make sense, especially not for the smartest and one of the holiest people in history. Obviously, you see, there's a plan here. Since they don't have the oral Torah, They don't know what was the whole plan. So they think, oh, he was, uh, I don't know, a humanizer. Chaz Shalom. God forbid. He wanted all these wives. The answer is nonsense. Don't be even fooled by this nonsense. He wanted only one thing, to make all of them religious, Jews, Orthodox, and send them all over the world to teach Torah. And he was successful in his plan. Because in his generation, Judaism was in the best it ever been. Everyone admired us. Look, read in the Tanakh. Nobody dared to bother with the Jews in those days. No king disrespected him or anything like this. Nobody would want to go and and do something to the Jews when they have such a legendary king and they have a temple and all that. Later, all the problems started. After he passed away and, you know, the history after. But. King Solomon say, it's okay, I'm going to marry. Hashem said, don't marry many women. For me, it's allowed because I have a plan. What was the end of his life? He has a bad, derogatory remark in, his, in the end of his life. And he did bad things in the eyes of God. His women turned his heart away from God. Hashem told the reason. King Solomon said, "Ah, it doesn't apply to me. This is a very, very, very big danger, a big trap. If the Torah will tell the reasons for all the restrictions, many of us with our high ego, ah, that doesn't apply to me. I don't have this desire. No, I don't ever steal. The Torah meant, don't do it because maybe you get used to steal. I don't have desire to steal. Okay, so I can do it." And in the end, everyone would fall into this trap. Second reason, second thing, don't have too many horses. Why? Because they'll turn you away back to Egypt. Why Egypt? Egypt is the place of all the great horses. Horse, it's an addiction. Once you go into the horses, the racing, raising them, riding them, it's an addiction. That's it. You're in it. If you don't believe me, go stand by the OTB 10 minutes, OTB, where people gamble for horse racing and see how they behave the people there. Screaming, crying, jumping, the horse is running, gambling, that. It's a whole thing. It's a whole industry, but horses, some horses worth millions of dollars. It's a big thing. So he says if you're going to be a follower of this hobby, which means horses, you want a lot of horses, it's just a matter of time until you're going to go back to Egypt. And the Torah said, don't return ever back to Egypt, don't see their face ever again. After I destroyed the empire of Egypt, I don't want you back there. What happened in the end? King Solomon said, ah, I can have a lot of horses, I have no plan to go back to Egypt. What do I need to do there? What happened to him in the end? Melachim Aleph in Kings, Kings 11, chapter 11. There is a verse that says that he was returning back from Egypt on a carriage, which eventually it happened. So here you go. This is just an example of two reasons why the Torah said, don't do it because it will cause you to do such and such. And King Solomon was very confident with himself that it won't affect him. And in both of them he failed and he had a remark after such great successful life, building the, the first temple, all kinds of things that we know good about him, one bad comment. Forever. It's a part of the Tanakh. It's an integral part of the Book of God. His last sentence of his life, he did the bad in the eyes of God. This Sometimes it's like filling up a bucket. So it takes hours until it's full, then you kick it or you make a hole by mistake and everything leaks. So what was the point? Then the Torah continue, the Gemara continues in Sanhedrin. We are now in page 27 in Masechet Sanhedrin. The Torah says, Children will not die on their fathers. Actually, the other way around. Fathers will not die on their children. What, we have to understand what does it mean on their children. Should have been because... All right, so let's see. In Deuteronomy 24, Dvarim 24, that was the pasuk: The fathers should not die on their children. The Gemara asks, what does it mean? There's many ways to understand this verse. They won't die because of their sin. If if the son makes a sin, so then you cannot punish the, the son murdered someone. You come and, and punish the father, what do you mean, that after his bar mitzvah, so you kill both of them, or before his bar mitzvah, or maybe that's not what it means. Maybe it means that they won't die with the testimony of their sons. You don't make the son testify against his father. You understand, even if he was angry and he convicted his father by his testimony, maybe you're not allowed to accept it, because there's a, re- there's a, there's a level of respect that a son has to owe to his parents. He cannot just send his father to, to, to be executed, right? What does it really mean? So the Gemara says, if you want to teach us that the father should not die because of the sins of their kids, and the kids should not die because of the sins of their parents, we already learn it from a different verse in the Torah. What verse? And the children will not die Because of their parents. Right? Licham, sorry. Ish o'yumat. We already learned from another verse. Everyone will die because of his own sins. What do we learn from this? Because of his sins and not other sins. Okay, so we already know it. So why do you need another verse? So the Gemara say, why? Because the explanation of this verse is that the fathers do not die with the testimony of their children. If a son gave a testimony, and based on that, you now have to execute the father, you're not allowed to do that. And the children will not die with the testimony of the fathers. So the Gemara say, really? There's a question now. We said in Exodus 34, Shemot, What is it? Hashem... Is holding the sins of the fathers on their kids. On the kids. So the father was bad, the kid paid the price. That's what it sounds like. The say, of course. This is only when the son follows his wicked way of his father. The father is a Mechalel Shabbos, the son is also. Now you pay for you and for your father as well. But if you change from him, you learn from his mistake not to be like him. Of course you don't pay for his sins, he pays for his own sin. Ah, you continue in his way, even though you know everyone warned you, hey, that's not the right way, don't follow your father, don't do it. But you chose to do it. So you're already getting affected from the sins of your father as well. Why? Where does it say? The Torah says, it's, uh, in, uh, it says like this, The parents pay the price, and their kids will die with them because of those sins. When is it when the kids continue in their parents' father is an idol worshiper? The son is joining him. Instead of telling him, hey, it's not the right way, he joins him. Ah, you join him? No problem. This is the price. And the Gemara says, Gmara says like this. We, are, we learn in Leviticus 26 that there is a verse, the Kashlu Ishbeachiv. People will fall in the trap of each other. One brother to another brother. Which means one brother will make his own brother. Brother means every Jew to every Jew. All in the nation of Israel. You make a scene, automatically your friend is falling down with you. There's a verse like this in the Torah, which from here we learn that every Jew is a guarantor of the others. Every Jew next to you that they make sins, you, you have your obligation to stop them and to teach them not to repeat that. And you are responsible if you're not doing it. So the Gemara says, we know that everyone, everyone is getting punished because of other Jews and get punished because of Shimon, Shimon because of Yitzchak, it depends who is who. He is making a scene and you there and you're not saying anything. You are falling down with him. So what do you need, father, son? It's every strangers, needless to say, father and son. That the son has more incentive to save his father. And not only is not saving his father from the scene, he's following his way. And you complain why he's getting punished. So the Gemara say, but wait a minute. Every stranger is a guarantor. You don't need father and son. Everyone is a guarantor. So the, the answer is, Sometimes a person has an opportunity to stop another Jew from making a sin. First of all, where is the obligation come from? Let me explain to you what, what's the question. If you go today to Israel on Shabbat, you walk to the shul now in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you go to the Shul now, and there's a highway over there. There's 100,000 cars driving there on Shabbat. What the Torah expect from you to do? To stand there with a the sign and scream Shabbat, to lay on the floor, to throw stones? What? To do what? There's so many secular Jews doing whatever they want. What is the chances that if you're going to stand on the road and scream Shabbat, they'll stop being al Shabbat? If any, they'll kill you with a car. They're already getting very angry if you tell them anything about religion. So am I obligated instead of going to shul, Well, if I come out of my home, I begin to walk on the way to shul, the shul is right there, a car comes. What did Hashem mean? That I must stop my Jewish brothers from making sins, otherwise I'm guilty like they are. If that means that every Jew that I see making a sin, that all my life I'm going to be a servant, hey, why smoke, Shabbat, hey, why don't start the car. Hey, don't don't steal, it's not allowed. Hey, don't touch the woman, it's not modest. Is this what he meant? Obviously not. We gotta be reasonable here. So, first of all, mitzvot. Ocheach Tochiach et Amitecha. You have to improve your the way of your brothers. Who? mitzvot? your colleagues to the same lifestyle, like you are. You are religious? You have a friend who is religious, you have a cousin that is religious, you have a neighbor that is religious, there is a chance he would listen to you. So you're obligated to tell him, hey Moshe, you know what you're doing, it's not allowed on Shabbos. This is Muktzah. don't touch. Why? He's trying to be religious. So there's a chance. If you have special relationship, your neighbor is secular, but he gives you respect, because your neighbor, he borrowed things from you, you borrow from him, there's a way that you can improve him. So there is a way to do it. But someone, a stranger, you don't know, he can take a knife and kill you. When you are obligated to improve a Jew, up to how many times you are obligated to talk to him? Everyone has this yetzerah, even inclination. You come to him, hey, Moshe is not allowed on Shabbos. It's a big sin, try not to do it. I know know, I, it's hard for me, I'm, I'm smoking 20 years. Very difficult. After you talk to him three, four times, there's a point to continue and tell him, hey, you know, you're not allowed to smoke on Shabbos. He already got the point. Up to how many times you are obligated? How many times? Up to a hundred times. Unless if he gets very angry, he becomes violent, he cares, or he begins to make jokes. And the halacha or Hashem or something like this, then you leave him alone, because now you, you, you're actually achieving the opposite. But if he's a pleasant person, and he cooperates, he talks, so don't repeat the same thing again and again. Always come from different ways. Hey, you know this. I have a film to show you. I have a CD. Remind me tonight. I'll give you a CD. Come to my house. I want to show you something. You know, or why don't you come for Kiddush? We got to make it your life mission. The Zohar says, if you run all your life after one Jew and made him religious after 70 years, it was worth it for you, all the suffering, all the travels, all the problems in the world, to make one Jew religious, oh, ah, wow, you're such a lucky guy already. The rest is really, ah, oh, it's important, of course, but you already made a big achievement in your life. 70 years, you run, you beg him, you bribe him, you give him money, if you're a very rich guy, it was worth it for you to tell your cousin, listen, I know you're a poor man, I'll give you $500 cash every Shabbat you sit home and don't violate. He's doing it for the money, not for the Shabbat. Worth it. It's not a Chalet Shabbat. The reward Hashem is going to give you is endless. Not 500, not 500 million, not 500 billion, much more than that. It was worth it for you. Of course, I always say, but when a person has X amount of money to invest in Tzedakah, you have to aim to the best results, which means if a speaker has an opportunity tonight to go to two different places, one place will be 10 people, one place would be 1,000 people. Where does he have to go? To where the 1,000 people are. What about the 10? They came to learn, they want to do things. Doesn't matter. Over here, we can make a lot more life-saving. So what's the question? But there's of course questions. What happened? This is routine place. This is one time. This you can postpone for tomorrow and not lose them or not. There's a lot of things to, uh, to calculate. Same thing in, uh, in Tzedakah. Do you know how many different levels of investment you have in charity? There's almost no end to it. Buy donuts for Hanukkah party. No, mitzvah. Maybe a few Jews will make Boremo Minemes or not. You put $1,000 in a shul. They bought donuts. You come to Ulam Bay, you expect a reward? Don't be kidding. You bought Chinese food for the party, no? So what's the mitzvah here? Okay, so maybe five more Jews came because they saw Chinese food. For that, you have a reward. Why? You brought more people to the lecture. It's good. But the same amount of investment, you can make a million times better investment. Million times, not once or 10 times more or 100 times more, million times more. Same amount of money. You know where to put it. That's why I always tell people, invest in saving people. It's worth it for you. One and another one, and as his children and his grandchildren. So here is, here is what we're speaking here about. If a person was able to stop the sin of his colleague Jews, then he's guilty. But if it wasn't in his hand, either he's a clown or violent or a murderer, Oh, he's anti-religious, he's not going to hear anyway. No, why am I, I'm, I'm guilty? Why am I guilty? It's only going to become worse. It's going to do on purpose more. You know, these people tell me hey, don't eat it. It's pork, it's not kosher. Wait there, bring me another steak. On purpose now, he's going to eat more. He wasn't planning. Why to do, uh, that's called poshea. Hatati aviti pasati. Pashati means to make Hashem angry. On purpose. I don't really want it. Just to get on your nerve. Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach. He says, One time I saw a person run into a broken house. A house under construction or broken. It's empty. And I ran after him. And I saw a sword in his hand. And blood is dripping from the sword. And I saw a person laying on the floor with a stab in his close to his heart and he's dying any minute and I told him you wicked person why did you kill him? so he said to him I know you killed him but there's nothing I can do why? because the Torah said You can only kill a murderer or any other sinner that deserves to die on a testimony of two people. So he says to him, it's one of these things is that they let you come next to the diamonds. You're right about there. And in the last minute, they hold your hand. I'm sorry, you cannot touch. So you already saw everything. You can put this guy to die as a murderer. Who knows? Tomorrow is going to kill another one. But you're the only person. You're not allowed to testify when there's not another, te- another witness. So he said to him, but the one who knows all thoughts, read the mind of the people, he will have revenge for this person who got killed. The Gemara say, not even a few minutes after, before they left that cave, that broken home, a snake was crawling, beat him, and he fell and died. The Gemara says, from the time Beta HaMikdash was destroyed, the four methods of execution were dismissed. Why? Because the Torah says, from my altar, you take the criminal to his execution. No altar, no execution. Why? Because you have to follow the instruction of the Torah 100%, not 99%. One condition change is different. We have no permission to alter. Oh, that's it. Why Hashem wrote in the Torah, take him to die for my altar? It's not necessary. You found him guilty, take him to die. What does it mean? You take him for my altar to die. Where? The court was next to the altar, next to the Mizbeach. Once they sentence him to death, from the altar, from Bet Mikdash, from the temple, they sit in Lishkat HaGazit. It's right here, a few steps away. From my altar, take him directly to his execution. No rest in his house. Maybe he needs a nap before they're throwing him from the cliff. No. What is it? Direct. Now, since there's no Bet Mikdash, no more executions so what happened the wicked people will celebrate now no punishment, no police, no nothing what's the, what's, oh so let's do whatever we want, Murder, M'chaled Shabbat whatever you want to do, Yeah, there's no altar Nagmara says Avalfi Shebatlu Avalfi 71 chief rabbis holiest people in the world 71, sitting in the same room There's no more Sanhedrin, and you could not reach any verdict of execution to the wicked people. The four methods of execution did not dismiss. The Gemara said, what do you mean they're not dismissed? You cannot stone anyone, you cannot burn them in a court, you cannot kill them with a sword, and you cannot choke anyone. So what do you mean they're not dismissed? The Gemara say, if you deserve stoning, you fall from the roof. Remember September 11? People were jumping from the 90th floor and crashed to pieces on the floor. That's exactly how stoning was. Not that high, lower. You don't need 90 floors, six, seven floors already broken to pieces. Someone. Who who deserves stoning? Either falls from the roof or an animal run into him. You stand over there, you don't realize a horse running. You turn around, boom! The horse hits you. You fly 300 feet in the air. That's stoning, like a rock falling on you. Car in our days. Someone told me his father-in-law crossed the street in Great Neck. A car hit him. You never know. You come out of school, you cross the street, boom! A car eats you. Baruch Hashem is okay. He got injury in his leg. Baruch Hashem. You to make a big party to thank Hashem. He got saved. It reminds me that one time in a shul, I once told that story, I don't know if he or not, but uh, one person made a seudat Hashem, meal. When a person has a miracle, it's always nice to make a meal and say to his friends how Hashem saved him because it brings Kiddush Hashem to the world. People are impressed. So he made a meal. Everyone asked him, Moishe, what for? What for? He said, Well, you know, uh, a week ago I crossed the street when I came out and a car hit me and I was hospitalized for a week and we didn't know what's going to be. And Baruch Hashem, I came out of danger. I'm still injured, but I'll leave. I'll go back to normal eventually. So I'm making a, a thankful meal to Hashem. The next day, they see another member of the shul also brought food. also make kiddush. And I told him what happened to you? You also got hit by a car. He said, no. Said, so why are you making kiddos? Why are you making a party? To thank Hashem for what? He said, 20 years I'm crossing these streets, and not once a car hit me. Don't I deserve to make a meal for Hashem to thank you only when I get hit? The idea is to do the right thing before the tragedy arrives. Uh, of course, in a hospital, I always say everyone become religious or partially religious as much as they can, yeah, as much as they know. Most people don't know what religion is. For them, religion is to kiss the mezuzah, better than nothing, yeah. Talking about getting hit by a stoning to death? Get hit by car and live to it. Is that punishment? I tell you the difference. In the time of Bet Hamidrash, they per- make a person wear special kilt, and he goes to this cliff. they push him down and he falls. Most of the time he dies, by the time he falls. If he's not dead, they don't send him to the hospital for an emergency room. Like today, after an accident, right away, Atzala arrives. Over there, it's to finish the case. So they have a huge rock waiting, standby. Believe me, the people who fall, they beg before they fall that they die right away. <laughs> Why? If they don't die, when they see the rock coming, it makes them bother with jelly. If you know what I mean. And what happened if the rock didn't hit them exactly in the right place? Shemirachem <laughs> Yerachem, cut half of the body or the legs or something like this. The head is still functioning, Right? Then the people are waiting downstairs with rocks size of a melon. And right away they throw to kill him that he won't suffer as long as if he's going to stay there like this. It can be hours of suffering. Quickly, they're ready. They see is not dead right away. They, they begin to throw it. You see, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why there are so many foolish people out there that don't get the point. I really don't know. I mean, everyone has desires. Everyone has evil inclination them, and us, and me, and the chief rabbi of the world, everyone has desires. But people know, don't cross this line, don't cross this line. In many different things, people understand. But over here, you know how many people heard me describing, stoning, I'm the only rabbi in the world that have the guts to talk about it. Nobody is there, nobody. Maybe in yeshivot, yes, but to the public? God forbid you mention the word punishment. Chas v'shalom, half of the people don't want to hear your name anymore. Like you're the new Saddam Hussein for them. Why? Look at this scary speaker. He talks about hard things. It's too hard for me. I can't take this. But I'm asking a question, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. I mean, the Torah doesn't say I'm wrong, the Torah says I'm right, because I read in the Torah what the Torah says. The Torah describes stoning, Torah describes punishments, it's in the Torah, I didn't make it up. But I'm asking a question, if people heard me now, now, or 500 times that I mentioned it in the last 16 years, and they understand that Mechalel Shabbat, someone who drives in a car, or smokes cigarette, or electric, or whatever the people do on Shabbat, or write on Shabbat, or computer on Shabbat, whatever it is, someone like this deserves this kind of punishment. And you know what? Even if we had a prophet in our generation that came and said, listen, you are a lousy generation. Hashem canceled the stoning. He there, ah, you don't deserve to get such a punishment. You're not in this level. Let's assume, hypothetically speaking, just from the thought that the creator of the world who supply me with my oxygen said originally that if I drive in a car or smoke or light cigarette or light fire or anything like that on Shabbat, this is the way I deserve to die. Just from that you get goosebumps on your body for five years, if you're normal. How can you not be scared? What's going on here? If Hashem wrote in the Torah, this is what a Mechallel Shabbat deserves to get. Isn't it enough for you to understand with this, I don't play? It's not fire. It's an atomic bomb. You don't touch. How can you be so brave, driving the car to shul, parking the car a block away? And then when the rabbi said, don't come with the car to shul, all man, they speak Lashon Hara on the internet about him. Get rid of this rabbi, he's fanatic, he's strict. What's his crime? That he wrote two or three verses from the Torah of God. That's his crime. The Torah says, if you don't read the truth to the people, you are a criminal. Today is the opposite. If you read the truth, you are a criminal. Everything the opposite. Rabbi Akiva was teaching Torah to the public. The Romans made a decree, someone will get caught teaching Torah, gathering people in places, will be put to death. It's illegal. Rabbi Akiva gathering hundreds of people on the streets and preaching, giving them lectures. One of the rabbis told him, Akiva, why you play with fire? Why you do the things to get the Romans angry? Hide! Go hide somewhere under the ground in a cave and teach over there. Why you teach like this? It's just a matter of time until you get caught. After a few months, Rabbi Akiva and that person, I don't remember right now his name, one of the rabbis of that time ended up in the same jail, same room. <laughs> so he told him, He told him, what, you got caught for nonsense. The Romans put him in jail for, he didn't teach Torah, he didn't do anything. So he said to Rabbi Akiva, How lucky you are, Akiva, that you got caught teaching Torah. (laughs) What did I get caught for? Speeding, uno, stealing, whatever. They made up a story about me. At least you got ended up here because you were teaching Torah. It makes your next world ten times or a hundred times greater. You're going to die on Kiddush Hashem for teaching Torah and giving your life for a mitzvah. Why am I here in jail? Why? For not paying enough taxes. For, I don't know, for... Whatever, you know, people ended up in jail sometimes for silly things. Definitely not for a mitzvah. You got the point? If we already go to jail, make sure you go to jail because you're going to triple your lama bar. You got it? So this is Rabbi Akiva. So people who say the truth, in the end, there's nothing for them to lose. Hashem, I say to the people the truth. They don't want to listen. What do you want from me? I did what I need to. So now the Gemara continue. The Gemara say, say to him, listen, if I, would, if I had another witness, I'd take you right away to execution, to the court. But I'm alone here. The snake came and killed him. The Gemara start to describe. Someone who deserves stoning... He can get hit by an animal or fall from the roof, that's stoning. Someone who needs to be executed by burning. Either he falls into fire or the house goes on fire and he's trapped in. Or a snake, poison him. Why? The temperature of the body from hundred from 98.6 go to 107, 110, whatever. Poison of the snake makes the person go so hot, if you touch him, it's boiling and it kills him, burning him from inside. Or someone who deserved to be executed with a sword. So the Romans catch him, and that's what they do. Chop heads if they don't like you. If you did something they don't, they don't like, you didn't pay them enough tax, whatever, execution by the sword. Or a robber comes to rob you, you come out of your bedroom, and he stab you with a knife, and many other things. In our days, it's also a gunshot. Because it makes a hole in the body. Mishanit Chayef Chenek, someone who deserves choking, God forbid. Either he drown in the water, or he has a sickness. It's called Sronchi. That's a primitive name. I wonder how they call it today. Now, choking, <coughs> cannot breathe, asthma, whatever you call it, emphysema, and he dies. Or gas leak goes to sleep. The gas is leaking. I had two friends in the army. One of them was sleeping in my room. After I finished the army and came here, a month later I found out they were both sleeping. He moved to my room with the other guy. Two young guys in the 20, 21. There was a leak in the room of the gas from the pipe. And both of them died. They didn't get up in the morning. So, the Gemara continued. The Gemara says... What happens if a person deserves different kind of execution? You el Shabbos, stoning. And other sins that it could be either burning or could be sword or anything like that. So today it's not a problem. In the old days, since you did it manually, what are you gonna do? You cannot chop his head off and stone him at the same time. It's either one. So what does the Torah say? You go to the most strict punishment. If he deserves stoning and burning, stoning is stronger. You go to stoning. Stoning or choking. Stoning, burning or choking. Burning. The worst is stoning, then burning, then uh, sword, and then choking. Penic. So you know. So if it could be sometimes all four. What happens if he owes money and he deserves to die? For instance. He made a robbery on Shabbat, and while he was doing the robbery, he violated Shabbat. It's, in our days, it's very common. He gets in a car, he drives away, and witnesses saw him Khaled Shabbat. If we had today the court, he has to be executed. Now they say, "Where is the money you stole?" So what do you do? You make him pay, and then you kill him, or you just kill him and forget about the money. What do you think? You go to the extreme punishment and finished. But today, sometimes a person can die with four ways of execution together, combine. How? Because Hashem is doing it. When the Beddin is doing it, when the rabbis have to they can either do one at a the time, they cannot do all four together. Cannot choke and, and sword and and burn and stone at the same time. It's not it's not possible. Either will die from here or from this. But today Hashem is doing all four together. How? Airplane crash. Bomb in a plane. Terrorism attack in a restaurant. You see Psh, Hamas explode. Suicide bomber. How How is it for? A person that is in a plane, like, like the plane that crashed. Remember in September 11, 96 people died because they fought with these terrorists. So what happened? When the plane is crashed, what happened? He goes on fire. Pieces are flying all over from the bomb, right? So it makes holes in the body. Big, large pieces are hitting a person and smashing his head off. And he choked from the gas or gasoline or the fire or the smoke, all four together. This is really what happened, unfortunately, to all these 3,000 people who were (coughs) twins. Those who jumped, they died only from stoning. Those who stayed and collapsed with the building, all four. Choking, burning, uh, holes in the body, stoning, everything together. Don't think it's coincidence. It helped them a lot more. Those who jump only died by stoning. Those who collapse with the building, they have more repentance for their sins. I know it sounds hard to believe. Why? They got all four executions together. However, 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 since the Torah told you that they, if they're guilty of four or two or one or three, you only go to the most strict one and it covers for all the rest, so you're okay. But just that you know, that any kind of extra suffering that a person has helps him when he dies and he comes in front of Hashem. If a person died while he was sleeping in the middle of his snoring when he's 90 years old. You cannot come to Hashem and say, hey, have mercy on me. I died, no? See, I went to sleep, I didn't get up. <laughs> Hashem said, well, what do you expect? To live forever? But you didn't suffer in your debt. But if he suffers, for instance, a month before he died from cancer, it eats it, his stomach, it eats his... he lose weight, he loses his hair, I don't know, whatever the case is. There's a period of suffering. Of course, it helps. Not always it covers for all what you need. You owe so much... One month will not do it. Maybe five years will do it. We don't know. Only Hashem knows to wait the suffering compared to the sins. We don't know. Nobody in the world can tell you, oh, you know, this kind of suffering that you have erased 200 times that you didn't wash your hands when you eat bread. This kind of suffering erased four four times you didn't keep Shabbos. This kind of suffering that this nobody knows it. Even in the time of the prophets, nobody knew it. This is the secrets that only Hashem. That's why we call him Yodea Ta'alumot, solving and knowing all mysteries. He, Hashem can take a person lose a hundred dollar and another person lose hundred dollars. For this guy, it's a great help. For this guy, it's nothing. It's no repentance. He makes it in a minute. He makes it in a, in a day. He lost a day of his life. He lost a minute. So the minute helps a little bit. Minute, big deal. A minute now the Gemara say Adam Adam, first human being was created alone, why not right away with Chava? male and female fell from the tree and began to walk, fell in love got married, and the rest is history, why first Adam and only later Chava? why why, why? Because if they would be created together at the same time, and the minute that they open their eyes, there's more than one person. Hashem created 200 people, 500 people. Many of the wicked people would begin to say, oh, there was many gods. Each one was busy with the creation of different men. Because the mind of a people, how can somebody does 300 things at the same time? Silly, but people are silly or, and i give another example another example The right, because of the righteous people and because of the wicked people because the righteous people would say we are the children of a righteous man and the wicked would say we are the children of a wicked person which means in our, it's not in our hand look, look who's my father, look who's your father he was created like this and he was no, so right away no, everyone came from one man. Remember, one father to all humanity. But if it was five Adams created, and one of them wasn't good, right? So all the ones who were born to him automatically come and claim, hey, wait a minute, it's not fair. But in the beginning, everyone has the same beginning point. This is what actually the secret of the soulmates. I once made a whole lecture about finding your soulmate. The Gemara says that before you even came to the world, the angel is coming with a drop of seed in front of Hashem in a court of heaven, and Hashem announced this man to this girl, the son of Yitzchak to the daughter of Avram. Boom, finished. Which means it's not in your hand. Then in another place in the Talmud, the first page, uh, and uh, in Massechet uh, Nida, first page, so the Gemara say, Amar Ishlakish mezavgim lo Adam zivug lefi Person gets his soulmate based on his spiritual level. Righteous, righteous. Rashi writes, a, a modest woman to the righteous man, a prostitute to the wicked man. That's that's Rashi writes. I always use this as an example of the importance, the purpose of the life of the Jewish lady. Why the the Gemara didn't say righteous man to righteous woman? Wicked man to a wicked woman. This is finding your soulmate, in your level, according to who you are. No. Righteous man to a modest woman. Why not to righteous woman? Modest is everything. She's modest, she's righteous, my friend. She's not modest, she's nothing. Wicked to a prostitute, to prutza. Prostitute, prostitute, that's what it is. Why your wife is naked on the street? This is what you deserved, my friend, in the time of your marriage. However, it seems like a contradiction. Here you say, it was announced, she's my wife, no matter what happened, that's it. Over here you say, well, depend on your level. Legmara answer, no contradiction, no baloney. I added, no contradiction. What's the point? Here is in the first soulmate, in the first match. Here is in the second match. What's first match, second match? So a few ways to understand it. First match means you are 20, you got married. You married to Tamar. Then you get divorced. 10 years later, you married Miriam. So we say our first sidur was already announced before I came to the world, for me and her. Now we all bought divorce. we found each other in the internet website. That's already according to am. But the secret is not this. The Ari, the Ari, the greatest Kabbalist. Teach us all the secrets, the inside, the insides. And this is what the Ari says This is in a first life term. This is in after the reincarnation. And now I'm making it simple now for you to understand. This is this Gemara connects together with what I just said, the masrar, Gemara in Masachet Nida. Over here it says, if it would be few people created many, many Adams, and one of them is wicked, and then he has children, so many people would say it's not fair. We didn't have the same beginning point like all the other people. They came with the merit of a righteous man, and we came from a a wicked person, don't expect us to be righteous like them, it's not the same. Everyone came from one father, why? In the beginning, when all the souls, when the soul of Adam split to many people in his generation, the first life term of the soul, everyone was crystal clear. No stains, no sins, no nothing. The soul came to the world in the first life term, completely clean. All the souls, all the people, equal. After one life term, this person is in level 70 out of 100. This one is in 60. This one is in 20. This one is in negative. Each one according to what he achieved in his life. Very easy. It was only six laws to keep in Adam time. When came Noah, he became seven. Then came the Torah. Another 900 years later, it became 613 for the Jews. It stays seven for the Goim, But right now, it's only six. Also, direct orders from God, because God was speaking to Adam. He told him, don't do this, do this, whatever. So there's very limited test. After they died, now there is millions of souls. After 100 years, the world is exist. There's millions of people already. birth, this, whatever. It could be few. 100, 200 years later, there's already a lot of people. Now they died. They were sentenced. They come back to the world. How do you come back to the world? Not zero clean again. Exactly who you were. You were negative 20. You were born negative 20. You were a thief. You came back as a thief. Look at the kid. He already still candies from his teacher draw. And the other one, you put it, it doesn't touch without permission. One is generous, one is stingy. One is angry, one is quiet. One wants everything, one doesn't ask for anything. Complete two different people. Why is it? Who told them that it's difficult to get candy or it's easy or there's plenty of money or there's no money or to steal or not to steal? How do they know? There's no common sense in age one, two. This is young kids. They don't know anything. They are adults that their soul were put in a new body, and it takes them now to get used to the world again because Hashem makes them forget the previous life. They remember the previous life, age two, they already know everything, like an adult can teach Ugmara. But when they die, they come back where they stop from. Sometimes Hashem sends them to Gehenom, he cleans whatever he can, and then send them back. Why? Because they owe money or they need to receive money that somebody stole from them. A part of the test. Money issues, stealing, cheating, all these things, you must come back. Gehedon doesn't clean this kind of sins. It only cleans other sins that you did between you and Hashem. All kinds of things. But things that you have to still make a correction in the physical world, you must come back here. So the same thing here. That's why everyone had to start it from one man. One man, a creation of God, clean, zero stains. No problem, yes. It says this time you're giving me a different it sounds like there's a second wife. What's the point of having an assistant in I heard that he was born with male kings, We're getting to it soon. We're getting to it. <laughs> then the Gmara says even now, when Adam was created by himself, families are enemies one of each other in his generation, even though it's, they have one grandfather. Already, we better, you know. You, imagine if we would be different people. Oh, this argument will never end. Dagmara says if he would be created too. The argument about who owns what will never end. We came from Adam and you came from uh, Yonatan. Two men, Adam and Yonatan. Hashem created two in one time. The world belongs to us. Adam owns 80%. No, it's not true. My father owns. My grandfather. He, He got from God more. Right away the arguments on property and the world would start. At least now there's one owner and he inherited to all his children. If you don't know who's your father, him or him, you don't know what to ask for. It's a problem. You claim this is your father. No, no, this one. I don't know. Oh, this one has a bigger house. Okay, so he's my father. You have one for everyone. The beginning, everyone is equal. Many reasons. Of course, you get the point here. Then the Gemara says... The Gemara says like this Tanura banan, to praise God for his brilliance. If a person makes coins, he makes a shape of a coin, and all coins look the same. Hashem makes so many coins, each one has his own image. This kind, this, no people look the same. Everyone is different, different fingerprints, different face. Even people that looks very similar still have some differences. This guy has a dot here, this one doesn't, all kinds of things. And why the faces of the people do not look alike? Like all of them one face, like in China. Two million people, copy machine from 7-Eleven. All straight hair, black, all eyes the same, yellow skin, skin eating rice. All the same. You go to Japan, everyone looks the same. Africa, everyone looks the same. Arabs, everyone has moustache. So you come to Israel, everyone different. Blonde, dark, black, yellow skin, this, all mix of everything. Italian, this, Indian, Yemenite, everyone looks different. The truth is that the Zohar explained that the air that you breathe affecting your genes. So if you live in a place for hundreds of years, everyone eventually become like the people of the place. That's why in Africa everyone is black, and in China everyone is yellow. The Zohar writes about it. We use it in my Torah and science film as one of the proofs. This is something the science found only 100 years ago, that the air affecting the genes, if you're supposed to be blonde, eventually you become black, or the other way around, based on the air that you breathe in this continent. But everyone agrees, even though after the joke is over, that even in China, they're not 100% the same. In China, they can tell the difference between Mr. Chang and Mr. Lee. For us, maybe it's difficult. But they know. Korean know that he's not Korean. I don't not know to tell. Chinese, Korean, Japanese, for me, it's very difficult to tell. But for them, you're comparing me to him? You understand? So they know right away. Because they're used to it. Also with accents they know, with Czech. But everyone is different. Even when they all looks the same, in the end, everyone has something unique about him. So the Gemara say, why is it? That a person will not see a beautiful home and a beautiful woman and say, it's mine. Which means, if every, all the people would look the same, right? And one guy got a very beautiful wife and a very beautiful house. What is he going to do? Kidnap the guy that looks exactly like him bury him somewhere in a cave and come back to the wife and say it's it's, I'm your husband everyone the same, huh? understand? or Rabbi Meir says three things is unique about every human being But nobody else has it one is in his voice you check the voice, even though sometimes there are similar voices. Very similar, very hard to tell. But if you check carefully, there's a few percent difference. It's not 100% the same. In the image, and in the wisdom, That Why in the voice, and in the image? Why it's so important to make different voices to people, and different images to people? Because of sex crimes. If a person will have the same image and the same voice, is going to go with a married woman pretending it's a husband, especially in the time there was no electric. It's dark already. Everyone looks the same. Anyway, imagine if they're really identical. How can she tell? Why in wisdom, If everyone have the same amount of knowledge, the same amount of uh, thinking, same intelligence, is they will use it for all kinds of non-kosher things to do. Besides what I said before, the Agmarah said, now we're going to what you say, Adam was created in Friday Eve, on the sixth day of the creation, before Shabbat started. Why? Because if he would be created in the beginning of, this, of the six days creation, everyone would say that God needed him to help him in a creation. Or would think that he's the God. If he was the first one here, and everyone that was created see him. Oh, what are you doing here? I was here. I, I was here before you. What would he think? Oh, he's a partner of God in a creation. So he was the last one who was created, that nobody will ever think in history that he really had something to do with the creation. Or that if he ever, his ego will go high, if his ego, they'll tell him, hey, even a fly, a mosquito was created before you, sit and be quiet, who do you think you are? You're the last one, a mosquito was already here before you came. Or that as soon as he will be created. The first thing he does is keeping the most important mitzvah, Shabbat. You're born, hop, Shabbat. That's why the Ashkenazim has a nice custom when a baby is born and the first Shabbat in his life, they make a party, Friday night. Shabbat, after the davening, everyone goes to his home, they eat. called shalom zachor. Peace on the male that is born. What's this? This is his first Shabbat in his life. Well, what can be a better reason for a party? They serve cakes, these, all kinds of desserts. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really want me to answer it? Then for sure he won't see me here next Wednesday. <laughs> 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 uh, then. Then, Rabbi Meir says, the sand to the body of Adam was taken from all over the world, not from one place. From all over. Hashem took a little bit of sand from everywhere, gathered it together, and created his body. Ravoshaya rav. rav Oshaya says in the name of Rav, Adam, now some of the things I say, I don't understand what I say. I doubt that if anybody, at least in this generation, understand it. It's a lot of secrets. It's very, very high things. Please don't make mistake thinking you understand the wrong thing here. There's no way to understand. Listen good. Adam, his body came from Babel, Babylon, the area of Iraq, Saddam Hussein over there. His body. His head came from Israel, from the Holy Land. The rest of his organs from different countries. The Gemara say, 12 hours is the day, daylight. 12 hours day, 12 hours night. First hour, Hashem collected his sand. First hour. Second hour, he became an image, a shape, like you make a doll in a beach. now it looks like a person but it cannot move third hour Hashem connected all his organs together fourth hour the soul was pushed in to his nostrils like putting air in a balloon fifth hour he was standing up on his leg for the first time fifth hour of his creation of the day, of Friday Sixth hour, he saw the animals and Hashem gave him wisdom to name them. Kalev, Hamor, Sus, he named all the animals. Seventh hour, he got into bed with Chava, with Eve. Eighth hour, they, got on a, they were on a bed two hours and came from the bed four. There was no nine-month pregnancy. A woman got pregnant. oh, a baby is coming out, like 20 years old, walking, talking, before the sin, because remember, the pregnancy is results of the sin, and Hashem cursed the women after the sin. Chava, Eve, tel You give birth with sorrow and pain, and the pregnancy, and the pain of the of the of the giving birth. It's different kinds of curses that we learn from the Pasuk, soon we get to it. In the ninth hour... So now they have kind and Evel already. In the ninth hour, Hashem told him, do not touch from this tree. All the trees that you see, all the trees that you see, is all yours, except this one. You guard them. You take care of them, you eat from their fruits, you enjoy, this is Garden of Eden, the original one. What we call heaven today is different, don't make that mistake. Many people think that when they go to Ulam Abai, it's the same place where Adam was, no. Adam was supposed to enjoy in this world endless pleasure endless, don't have to work, don't have to suffer, no suffering, no sicknesses, no making a living problem, no raising children problem, no cheating, no anger, no pride, all the things that we have, he did not have to, not supposed to have. Look at the price that one sin caused humanity, how much we suffer for thousands of years. And Eve, Eve birth while she's drinking her coffee in the morning. Oh, you just gave birth to another three kids. The next day, another two. Oh, really? No screaming. No, get out of the room. <laughs> well, the... They have Ada. Ad, they have Cain in heaven, and later they had Shet. Shet was a tzaddik. the heaven was tzaddik. that got murdered. Cain was rasha, and everything after started from Shet. Then, and Adam. Adam, by the way, should know. But this is now the negle, but there's also a secret Kabbalah. Really, Evel was born with two twins. But again, the Torah did not mention almost never the female. Only mainly the important male are mentioned, but the female, as they were created for the men, they were not the highlight of the creation, so the Torah usually doesn't bring them up. And you don't hear that much about women. You hear a little bit about Sarah a little bit about Rivka, but really, even for the mothers of humanity, don't hear that much about them. Even Chava, what do you hear about it? That she made a sin. That's all you hear about it. What, do you, what else do you hear about it? If you wouldn't make that sin. you probably wouldn't know she's existed. You know, so... So, what... So, uh, Evel was born with two twins. And Cain was born with one twin. And that's already created jealousy. Why? You have two wives. Remember, there's no sex crimes, idolatry, you don't have this. There's no, more, no Torah yet. Everything is allowed. There's no evil inclination of allowed or not allowed. It's a different state of life yet. The evil inclination did not enter the heart yet. It happens only after the sin. So now, now what happened to him? He sees two and he has one. Then Hashem took the sacrifice of heaven and not him. It built up anger by him. After, the, after they ate from the tree, now there's big jealousy. Before, he didn't care. In the first hour, when he was created, they came out of bed. He came with two girls and he came with one. He didn't bother him because there's no jealousy yet. There's no evil inclination yet. Only evil inclination makes a person jealous. Not the good inclination. After they ate and everything got, everyone got affected, this is what happened. From now on, human beings, all of them, Have this problem now. So the ninth hour, Hashem told him, "Don't touch from the tree." The tenth hour, he ate from the tree. The eleventh hour, Hashem judged him, asked him, "What did you do? You touched the tree. I told you not to touch." The twelve hours, Hashem gave him his punishment, nitrad ve'alachlo. Now we're going to understand another secret. Sometimes you see when you go to a place an animal wants to attack one person and doesn't attack the other. Sometimes you go in a forest, a bear comes the bear from all the people, he attack one person and doesn't touch the others. And nobody understands why. They look at that as how lucky I got, coincidence. But now the Torah teaching us a very important principle here. When a person is righteous, he has spiritual light on his face. People don't see it. If he's righteous, he has beautiful spirit, spiritual which the animals look at him. So what happened? They, look, they see something different. The animal, when a dog or a bird or anything like this, look at the righteous or wicked people, they see two different things. What do they see? The animal attack a man only if it looks like another animal. If it looks like a person, the animals are afraid of him. They don't dare to touch him. So every time an animal ate a person while he was alive, after he died, that's no problem. They can eat his body. That's not what we're talking about. When a person is alive and an animal attack him, that means this person was a sinner of some kind of a sin which an animal thought it's another animal. That's why it's very interesting. Some people say sharks don't attack people. And every week we hear attack. It's here, it's there, it's this, it's there, everywhere, every, everywhere, everywhere. Or don't be afraid, they don't touch people, the bees, and all of a sudden they sting one person. All kinds of scenarios like this. Oh, don't be afraid of him, he never attacked. 10 years later he attacks someone. We don't understand, but now this gives us an idea that the spiritual image of the person is affected by his holiness. And that's why sometimes we see for instance, Daniel, Daniel the prophet, the goyim threw him in a hole with hungry lions, three days they did not eat. The lions not only did not eat him, they lick his legs. They came for him to give them attention. He came his friends. There are many stories like this, that they put a rabbi in a hole with lions, the goyim, like the priest who was convincing the king, this Jew is a trader, he's your advisor, He steals money, he does this. So they used to, there was a common punishment. Take a rope and throw him into a hole with lions. The rabbi is there all day and the lions don't touch him. So the king says, see, the lions don't even touch him. Say, then they probably not hungry enough. So the king takes the Jew out and put the priest in. In less than a minute, they attack him and kill him to pieces. Ah, not hungry? Why, depend what they see. You understand? So this is it. This is the source, the Gemara in Sanhedrin. The animals cannot control a person because the the creation is that a person is supposed to control every animal. Every animal. If the animal controls you, that's why I always wonder, you walk in Manhattan, and you see thousands of guys and girls, almost everyone walking in the street with a dog or two dogs or five dogs. It's a (laughs) babysitter. You know, in a building, almost everyone has a dog. So they all walk with dogs. And then they pick up the, you know what, and this is like supposedly important people, doctors, judges, lawyers, these, movie stars, whatever. They walk with their dog. They pick it up. They put a glove. They pick it up. They take him to the doctor. They sit and retail him that they won't die, God forbid, their partner to life. And none of them is stopping to think, look at my horrible, miserable situation. I am a servant of the most impure animal in the creation of God. If they only knew a little Torah. From two million different species, dog is the spiritually. He could be a great friend. He can save life. I'm not talking about this. Spiritually, the nefesh, the spiritual level of a dog is the worst out of two million animals. And donkey is the best. But the, 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 the the dog is the worst, the worst animal, worse than a pig. And they clean the bathroom. You tell them, uh, go and be a babysitter, change the diaper of the neighbor's kid. You're kidding me? A thousand dollars I won't be for an hour. I'm going to change diapers. I don't change diapers to my own kids. I have five maids. But when they walk in Manhattan, jogging, <laughs> they pick up the garbage. It doesn't bother them. Why? spiritual level of your person is like an animal, you can marry an animal. Yeah. You know, that's what's going on here. And some people, when they see a a dog, they almost faint, just from the impurity. But they feel. But other people don't feel. Kiss them, hug them. Ah, my body, I missed you. You know, one guy made a bar mitzvah to his dog. (laughs) He, pay, he bought him the best tefillin. <laughs> Very uh, precious tefillin he got him. When Hashem wanted to create an Adam, we have a few more minutes, we'll finish. He created, he, he, he brought a group of angels and he told them we're going to create a man in our image, spiritual image. They told him, shel olam, what's going to be with this man? What's going to be his nature, God? He told them, this is how he's going to live. They told him, why would you waste your time on people? Why do you need to create such a thing? Because he told them, they're going to make scenes, this, they have the, you know. So he said, Ma enosh ki ben adam ki tifkedenu. Hashem burned all these angels and dismissed them. Then, Second group, same story. Third group, same story. But the third group told him, Ribbono Shel Olam, Master of Universe, everything that the first one told you, why did it help them? You are the master of the world. You are the boss. Whatever you want to do, do. Why are you asking us? Later in history, when it came to the generation of the flood, 1,500 years after the creation, approximately, When Hashem had to bring a a flood and kill all the people and start a new world, or or when they made the Babylonian tower to go and fight against God, this was horrible generations, right? They came, these angels came to Hashem and say, Master of the universe, why did you burn the first and the second group of the angels? They were innocent. They were right. They told you, why do you need to waste time on this kind of people? Don't you see now that you have to kill them? So they told you, why do you want to bother with them? Why do you want to make them? They were right. Hashem told them, I have a lot of patience. I have patience for them to change for good in the end. Which means, what do you mean? They're going to get killed now. No problem, they'll come back in Gilgul. Reincarnated, and another chance, and another chance. as many chances. One chance they failed be another chance. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Adam was huge from one side to another side of the world. We're talking spiritual things, his abilities, his level to see, to understand. The Torah says, From one side of the world to the other side of the world. When a person created Adam, this is metaphoric now. Really, the Torah meant from the time Hashem created Adam, did you ever see such an event from one place, one side of the world to the other, that God spoke to people? Where did you see such a thing? But this is now metaphoric. Kevan sarach, after his sins, Hashem made him smaller. So he was very big, and he made him smaller. And Adam used to be all nail, shining like a diamond. The sun is shining on him. Looks like a beautiful, huge diamond. The ankle of Adam, the heel, look like the brightness of the sun. The angels, when they saw him, they got nervous. They thought there's another god. That's how impressive he was. After the scene, he became flesh, skin, and only one little tiny souvenirs left here on every finger. Remember what you used to be. That's why when you cut the nail, you don't throw them. It makes the, the demons, the bad angels get very angry when they see, oh, look at him, what he used to be compared to us. You don't throw it on the floor. There's all kinds of things. Right? And a pregnant woman can, can have a miscarriage because of it if she goes over it. There's impurity here. That's why we wash our hands right first thing in the morning. Originally, we we're supposed to wash our feet also. But the impurity in the feet is impossible to take away. So there's no point of wasting time. It's so strong. The impurity, even mother, you spill on it doesn't take it away. You understand? That's why you don't touch the leg. If you touch the leg, you run to wash your hands. It's all kinds of things. So then the Gemara continues. The Gemara says, Adam was all the way from the ground, all the way, his head was all the way up in the sky before Hashem made him small. Right from one from the earth all the way up to the sky. Rabbi Nathan say a good sign for a dead person that after he die when a person die you're going to see what happened with his body. That's going to give you an indication if he's welcome to the next life or if he's not welcome at all. How? Let's see. A good sign for a person who died, after he died, how do you know it's a good sign? That he gets his body suffer after the death, which means his punishment started here already. For instance, they did not make eulogy for him. They wanted to make a eulogy, pouring rain, so instead of speaking for three hours as they planned, pouring, hurricane, whatever. Uh, what's the name of the hurricane that we just had? Irene. Irene, Irene from Ireland. So Irene decided to come when they, there were people in a funeral. What do you think? Someone, someone died that morning, no? Or that afternoon. Queens, these don't go on the street. Highways are closed. Nobody shows up. No, no 10 people to say Kaddish. And looks like horrible. So they, they cannot even make one eulogy, or people didn't show up, or the road was closed, or who knows what. It could be a war. They shoot rockets, the Hamas. So quickly, the rabbi said, we don't have time. Quickly make the hezeh, one kadish and go home. So no eulogy. Or he never got to get buried. Why? An animal attacked him and started to eat him. Or pull him, like a bear. You know, in Muncie, it's not the first time, my wife told me, that a bear is walking around, not far from our place, a block or two away. It's not the first time, it's probably the third time in the last two years. A bear is walking, going to your grass, to your deck. A visitor came. If it would be Sukkot, you have to invite him to the Sukkah. Come, have have some lunch with us. Or eat us for lunch. (laughs) One of the two. So, oh, it's if pouring rain falling on his, on his bed when they take him to the cemetery, that's a good sign. Most people would say, my poor father, even a normal funeral we couldn't make to him. Don't worry, it's a good sign. Then, Amar Rabbi Azar, a Talmid Chacham, knowledgeable person in Torah, what is it like in front of an ignorant person? Wow, that's a good one. You have today two levels of people. People who know a lot of Torah, Bnei Torah, learn Torah, only talking about Torah. Torah is their life. Always with books, Kam, Mincha, between, going, checking books, reading, always time. Just Torah on the bus, Torah. Over here, in a plane, in the airport, always Gemara, riding, Bnei Torah, the children of the Torah and uh, vegetables market people selling watermelons selling cucumbers going ordinary people oh Torah not for me so since it's two different worlds in the beginning the Talmid Chacham the high scholar looks like like a bunch of gold then after after he's speaking to him, it goes down to silver and then after <laughs> then, after that, he becomes ceramic, which means cheaper and then once it break, ceramic always in the end break this is like almost disposable things in the old days, ceramic, and then it breaks after a few times, and you get rid of it, it's cheap also to make. Rabbi Akiva says, when I was not religious, when I was secular, when I used to see Rabbi, I told my friends, the ignorant people, give me a cheek of a donkey, it's a very thick piece of meat, and let me heal him a donkey is, is is biting if a donkey bites a person wah. a dog make holes eh, a month later you heal if a donkey bites the bones become powder there's no way to heal no bones left that's it got to make a transplant or it's really a horrible thing a, a bite of a donkey forget about it so rabbi akiva say i wanted like to kill them out of my well, I didn't say jealousy, but my anger. Today, the world is full of people like this. As soon as they see someone who knows Torah, learn Torah right away, you, you, you put him in their hand and rip him apart from jealousy. They don't admit that it's from jealousy, it bothers them. Because as long as he's around, he shows what kind of a loser I am. I don't want him here, he's it's, it's a burden. If he's here, all of us look like monkeys. That's one of the reasons why some local rabbis, of course not all, there's a lot of great and kosher and holy people, but once in a while you hear politics. There's somebody that doesn't know that much. And when his community wants to invite a great speaker, he doesn't let. And he's always going to make hara and stories, I heard this about him and I heard that, and I, I'm going to check. Uh, uh, give me some of his recording I'll get back to you and keep pushing it off why? he knows once this person will come to the shul and talk what's going to happen the next day nobody would ever want to listen to him anymore Ah, don't waste our time you're boring why do you know the same lecture for 20 years the same thing so it will be his end so he's trying to hold to his position by putting everybody else down no, don't be a fool work on yourself bring yourself high Ah, yeah. Or quit. Maybe it's not a job for you. The person has to be good at what he does. It's not for you. Move on. Don't worry. You make a living somewhere else. Whatever you're supposed to make, you make. The, the Torah said, don't use the Torah as a tool of a living. Somebody told me, one of the community, that he has few of his family members that got angry at me. Told me a few days ago. And they say to him, we're not going to listen to him anymore. We would listen to him for a year or two every day. That's it, no more. Why? Because I made a lecture about the fake babot. And they knew who I, I was hinting to. You know, and they got angry. So I told the guy, listen, I'm going to send you a video that was displayed in Israeli television, an inside investigation with candy camera, with religious people who come to testify, what this, how these people destroyed their life, how happy they were before, and how from the minute they went to this babot, how they destroyed them completely, threatening them, cursing them, calling, harassing them, putting pressure on them and took hundreds of thousands of them and took their homes and promised them false things. The most wicked people on the face of the earth. Let me send it to you. I send it to you. I say, now send it to all these fools who have the guts to open their mouth. You say, you have to know the laws of Lashonara. Lashonara, if you come and reveal something that nobody knows, even if it's the truth, there's no permission. When there is a permission, when this crook is taking advantage on innocent Jews, then the Torah says, you must stop it you're either threatening him to stop, and if he doesn't stop, you must publish him to everyone. Why? Because when Hashem is going to send someone to kill him, or he's going to get a horrible uh, accident and die, what's all the ignorance going to say? Where is the justice? Where is God? Such a holy man and he got killed like this? And his assistant, who know that he's not only not holy, is the biggest crook on earth, faker. This whole custom of a rabbi was all a fake to begin with. In a day, he decided to become what he is. He already had in his mind, how do I get millions of dollars and become a millionaire? And his assistant, who knew about it, and sometimes even got commission from it, or got all kinds of benefits, His responsibility, the Gemara say, was to publish him to the world. There's no laws of Lashonara here. The laws of Lashonara, you must publish it. Don't be afraid. Why? You do a great service to Hashem and his children. If you don't do it, tomorrow when Hashem bury him, or when he's going to do, who knows what's going to happen to him, thousands of people are going to say, Hashem is not fair. Such a holy man got killed in such a brutal death. And it's all your fault. That's called chilul Hashem. Less people want to be religious. More people leave the religion. Why? There's no justice. If such a man had such an end, where is the shame? Where is the justice? I don't believe anymore. It's all your fault. Now there's another problem. If the Torah says, "Don't stand while the blood of your brother is dripping," this is an expression. What's the explanation? When a Jew is about to fall, you must run and stop it. When a Jew is about to lose his money, a crook is on the way to him. You cannot sit and say, well, it's, it's the way the Hashem runs the wall. It's not my problem. No, you become, you become guilty. If you could save his life or protect him from the crook or protect him from going to a not kosher person or he is about to invest money with a crook, Rabbi, not rabbi, Jew, go, it doesn't matter. Any crook. You must do everything you can to stop him. Same thing in getting married. He's about to marry the biggest prostitute. You know her. You must call and say, stop it before it's too late for your son. Here is what she is. Here is a video. Here is, a, here is this. Here is that. Here is this witness. Speak to him. You must do it. No, I'm not pushing my nose. Hashem will punish you. He's gonna marry her and get divorced and have children on the street, and you pay for everything. Everything will be your fault. It's not a joke here. Or in any other way. However, you gotta be very, very careful not to mix politics, something that is good for you. Sometimes they're clever, supposedly, they think they're clever. Eh, why? He wants his job, so he says, he's ah, it's not, it's not such a professional. Ask this guy, he knows his enemy. No, no, don't be a crook. You you have to tell the truth. Whether you like the person, don't like, you must say the truth. And if you don't say the truth, you are a murderer. It's called mochi shemra. Making up a story that never existed, or just you suspect that it happened, you're not allowed. Remember this gemara? He saw him dripping, and he never went to tell people. So what can I do? I'm only one witness. I saw you killing him. I saw the knife. You're the only person here. He didn't die from the air. But I cannot say because the Torah says you need two weaknesses. You know for sure, you saw in your own eyes. You must warn the people. This is it. Today, the nature of the people is to be, excuse me, complete naive idiots. Complete. People are searching who's going to rob me standing on lines by all these crooks and give them all their money and they go like this. And then they begin to get harassment phone calls. No, where is the next check? If you don't bring it by tomorrow, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, your daughter will never get married, your son that is sick will die right away, you'll see, don't mess with us. It's like mafia. Believe me, if I show you this article, if if I was a brave man, I would put it in my Facebook page. But then we know what would happen their mafia would come from Israel to murder me in a day. They won't be able to take the shame. So I'm a little bit brave. A little bit, I say 5%. And in Hebrew we have a say, I'm evin yavin. And I'm only doing it, I have to be honest with you, because I'm afraid. I'm afraid for my shame because I'm in a position, I'm a public figure. I see thousands of people every month, I hear them, I get emails. If I'm not gonna warn them, nobody will. And the other people who should warn as much, nobody cares. Don't mix, don't get me mixed. I'm not, they don't know that the Allah has said that if you know and you don't say, you'll be responsible for every victim. It's not joke here. You can be very righteous men. You come to Shamayim and say, "You have no share to the world to come." What do you mean? I did everything you want, Hashem. You saw thousands of people in the last four years go to this faker. You know that he's fooling them. You know that he's robbing them. You know that he takes away their home. You know how much suffering they got from this crook, and you never said anything? So what would he answer? I didn't want to ruin my reputation. People get angry. They, 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 they're foolish. Look, once or twice I made a, a public announcement. They're ready to kill you, all these ignorant people. They can't tolerate. How can you speak such a thing about such a supposedly holy man? They don't wanna hear it. And sometimes I say to myself, I wish I had the, the guts I, when I come in front of Hashem to say to him, what do you want from me? The people deserve it. They are looking for it. They are begging, find me another fake Baba that I can go and stand three hours online, that is gonna take control of my life and do all kinds of hocus-pocus. Just today, A friend of mine from 15, 16 years ago, I haven't seen him and haven't heard from him. He moved away to LA. He went on his way and I went on my way. 16 years. Today I get a phone call, 818, area code, Los Angeles. 16 years. You recognize me? How can I say I speak to so many people, I can recognize their voice. Sounds familiar, but I don't know from where I say it. So I try to remember. Remember once you had this, with this, I gave you this advice. I, remember, I don't remember what happened a week ago. So many conversations. How can I remember? No, 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 no. He said who he is. I almost fainted. We <laughs> used to be very close. He said, how did I know your number? Someone in L.A., this is a person I sent a box of CDs a month ago. This is... People like you that give money every month. Look how it goes. They create these CDs, and I send them all over. And it goes to places that people never hear words of Torah. This guy, 16 years, long ponytail, nothing to do with Judaism. Nothing. Nightclubs, this, Hashem Mirachem. So that person got a lot of CDs. Somebody sponsored it. We send him a box. He gave them out and he came to this guy's office and gave them a few CDs, audio, MP3, with many lectures. After he heard the lecture Shabbat, it shaked him up, and and he keep thinking, I recognize this voice, but he's thinking, where do I know this voice? He doesn't see a face, it's no video, it's audio. He listened to the lecture, then he looks, he sees a website. You see, there's a website on the CD. He goes into the website, he's his best friend. (laughs) He calls, you should see I was screaming, he's like he won the lottery. Thanks to this phone call, I got telephone numbers of two of my other friends. And I already spoke to one of them on the phone, and one of them I actually saw already today. You understand? What a small world. And now I'm thinking to myself, this guy's becoming religious. He said, that's it, I stopped with the nonsense. This lecture made me very strong. The other guy said to me, I closed the business on Shabbat, a store in Manhattan, almost all the businesses on Shabbat, no more. I had a girlfriend, Goya, no more. From the lectures on the Facebook. Bottom line, just thinking about the person who sponsored those five CDs that arrived to this guy's hand. Here you go, look what, how it travels, that's what Hashem wants, and again, remember, we finish with this, you got to know, you have to know, there's no laws of Lashon Hara against you, it's for you, and when it comes to Shiduchim, someone's going to get married, you must warn, if you have a doubt, you're not allowed to talk, also you don't have to, you're not allowed to add salt and pepper to the story. If a person stole $10, you're not allowed to say, oh, he's a professional crook. No. You're allowed to say there was an incident that he went to someone's pocket and stole. I don't know, you have to check. Maybe he made shuvah, maybe he's not anymore. Maybe he's a professional thief. Maybe. No, I know for sure he's a thief. And if it was 20 years ago, you're not allowed to even mention. By now for sure he made shuvah. It's 20 years later now. He was a kid, maybe. There's laws. There's a lot of laws to have that apply. But one thing for sure is, that in general, and we are not mentioning names here, but every one of you will use his head and warn all his relatives. The reason I remember the story with my friend is that he called me today and I asked him, did you get married yet? He said, no. He said, one Baba. He doesn't say Baba. He's a famous Baba. He told someone who knows me based on my name that my luck is closed. That I have to go to him, to Israel, give him $6,000, he's going to make something, and I'll be able to have good mazal, good luck. Tell him, be very careful, Mishamai, you called me. Don't go and don't give them a penny, it's all liars. No mazal, is closed, the Kabbalah doesn't see a future, enough with this nonsense. How many times do I have to repeat? Every day I hear about it, every day. Enough, it's not, no one is a prophet. Nobody knows the future. Nobody knows what's going to happen to you two weeks. The only good advice is when a rabbi tells you, keep Shabbat, stop with this, eat kosher, learn more Torah. It doesn't say to you, give me first money, then I'll help you. Be careful. If he helps you a lot in your life, don't be ungrateful. Don't speak to the well where you drink from. You also have to help, because the rabbis have institutions, they have yeshivot, they have things that they need to do. But to make a condition, you pay me X amount, and if you don't bring the money, we'll put a kels on you. What is this nonsense? It's not even the Italian mafia don't do these things. You understand? Please be careful. Well, we'll uh, Monday, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to Canada for my lecture in 66. Uh, but next Wednesday, I'm here as usual. Next Wednesday, try to make it on time, 8.30. Thank you very much.